listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 89 of the Testudo Times Podcast, the yes, we still beat Texas, though this seems like a Pyrrhic victory edition of the show. Uh, Thomas... It's 72-plus hours since Maryland beat Texas, in spite of all the stuff that went on in this game. I still can't believe that they actually beat Texas. Yeah, um, you know, yeah, I I can believe it, but it's, it, it is surprising. Just watching that entire game was the roller coaster of bizarre emotions and then intimate, you know, Maryland fan feelings of, okay, they're going to screw this up. Wait, the angry Maryland quarterback <laughs> hating gods popped up again. What else could possibly happen? It was just totally nuts. I, I haven't seen a football game like that, certainly involving Maryland in a really, really long time. Maybe it was topped after Texas A&M blew a 34-point lead in the third quarter of the UCLA the day after, but at least in terms of the opening <laughs> weekend of college football, that was the stupidest game we saw all weekend. It was up there. Um, yeah, there, there was there was some crazy stuff that happened throughout it. Um, I think, you know, the whole because it was Texas losing um, and that ended up being most of the story. I think a lot of people didn't quite realize how insane the game was and how many, like, you know, there were 92 points and a bunch of them were on defense and special teams and all kinds of just wild stuff. It was one of the absolute crazy. I mean, we forgot our good friend, Alex Kirshner of this site in the past in his 12 craziest things that happened in the game, he forgot to mention that Maryland got penalized for putting two number 57s out on an extra point. Like that, If that doesn't even make your list of crazy stuff to happen, then the game and was then, totally insane. And then that guy actually went into the locker room, changed numbers, and made a huge stop on fourth down late in the game. That's absolutely, you're good, you're right. That's, that's the other crazy part of it, too. That wasn't mentioned. With, with and, no nameplate on that was the other thing. He had no nameplate. It was like, wait a minute, am I watching some grummy international soccer? Uh, we'll get to all the crazy stuff about this game in a bit, but we first should welcome a new guest to the podcast. You've seen him on Testudo Times a bunch. He wrote a good piece after the game. Hello, Lamar Johnson, and welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How are you? How's everyone doing? I'm still trying to capture all of my emotions from that game and then what transpired this morning at DJ Durkin's press availability because it's still keeping my head spinning. Uh, yeah, that was a big blow. Um, I was not, uh, well, when you saw the injury, like, it, whenever you see those non-contact injuries, it looks horrible, and then to hear the news that Piggy's out, and then hear, um, Jesse's news, it was a rough, rough turnaround. It was certainly rough, but it was certainly rough, but you can't. You can't take away with what happened on Saturday. So let's start with the injuries because I think we have to. Uh, Tyrone Pickram's out for the year, tore his ACL, which is a huge shame. And again, angry Maryland quarterback hating God. It will never go away. And then Jesse Annabonin broke his ankle, and he's now out for potentially a good chunk of the season. And Thomas, these aren't just, you know, Maryland injuries, and they've had tons of them to big players. Denzel Conyers last year will likely... You know, they've had some gut punches of injuries, all the quarterbacks, like five years ago. But these are two incredibly important players that get injured in the first game. 
and you're just like, wait a minute, is Maryland allowed to have anything fully that is good without bad stuff in the middle? Uh, maybe, uh, just not yet. I don't um, think they've earned it yet. So, well, let's go into both of these injuries. Let's go into Andy Bonham's first, because I think that while he is a huge part of this defense, he's more, in air quotes, replaceable. Now, he's broken his ankle. Who knows how long he's going to be out for. They left it open to say that he could potentially be back this season. But that's a big part of Maryland's pass rush, which was really good on Saturday, that is now missing. And first of all, how are they going to replace him? And second, how much of an emotional blow is that for a defensive group and a defensive line especially that's chock full of seniors? Uh, It's huge. I mean, to say just that that he might even be more replaceable, I I might even disagree. because there is absolutely a step down from Annie Bonham to uh, whatever the backup plan is. If it's uh, Melvin Kane is, is a redshirt junior, he, who's you know, been productive as a part-time player but might be undersized on the defensive line full-time. Uh, Bryce Brand ha- played pretty well uh, in the second half but is still a true freshman. Um, and the other option that Maryland has is – Potentially moving Chandler Burkett to the to the Buck spot, um, where he played some last year before switching over to more uh, full time hand in the ground defensive end, um, and and having Brett Kolka there on the on in that spot. So it's um, you know that that there's a definite step down from Manny Bonham, who was you know one one of the key players coming in. I mean it was him and Carter. And um, J.C. Jackson. Yeah, and those were the three guys who, who we who we knew we were going to be able to count on. Um, you know, Andy Bonham had nine sacks last year, and that was kind of as as he was splitting time with other guys. Um, so he was supposed to be. This was supposed to be you know a breakout year for a guy in his senior year trying to get NFL stuff, and so to see this happen, it, it's horrible. And it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens with him um as far as if he comes back because if he doesn't i think he could get a red shirt um if it's unclear if he would want that um because he is a senior and i think his plan was to try to you know use this season to show out for nfl scouts and do all that but you know from here we just we just don't know what what the plan is and i don't really know what what maryland's going to get from that spot now it's a tough spot because they were rushing the passer really well in the first half. And they did okay in the second half. They weren't really getting to Shane Bouchelle, but they, in the first half, were great in terms of getting into the backfield. And to the sad Tyrell Pigram news, which Lamar, I think, has made even sadder, not just because the angry Maryland quarterback hating God is still a thing, but for now, it took away a quarterback that played way better than any of us thought he was going to play. After that first pass which was tipped and picked off and returned for a touchdown you thought this is Maryland quarterback play it's always been this way and here's just another example and then Pigram played really well the rest of the game how much of that was Texas being bad and how much of that was Pigram showing some truly amazing improvement we can debate that for a long time this season but to see him after doing all that work to win the starting job and then blow out his knee like that it's just heartbreaking for a guy that you know what he had even more room to grow. Uh, yes. Uh, you saw Piggy come out, and he really did prove that he earned that spot. 
it's nice to see that Cassine was ready to step in immediately, but did you feel for the you feel for Piggy? Uh, he all through camp he tell, uh, fought off the competition. He earned that spot and, and he went out and really proved that he uh, he he won that battle and he did that by like uh, yeah he went out there beat Texas did what he had to do and you're like all right this is uh, this is a good sign for for the Terps, and then to turn around and get that news, it did some blow. Um, but Kasim has been practiced. He was in the quarterback competition all the way up until the injury, um, and, and until um, Piggy was named star at the beginning of last week. So um, don't expect too much of a drop-off, but you, it, it just hurts to lose Piggy the way you do. I mean, maybe in other Maryland seasons it would have stung a lot more to lose a quarterback that made such a leap. Thomas, but we'll get to Kasim Hill in a second, and he is, the future of the Maryland quarterback position is now, obviously, but for Pigram, he played so much better than even the most ardent supporters of him would have thought, not just with running and the way that Texas could not defend him when he got outside the pocket and started to run, but when they asked him to throw the deep ball, he threw a really dang good deep ball. He couldn't throw wounded ducks last year, and the improvement he weighed from last year to this year was stunning, and it's so sad that we won't get to see any more of that this season because he really did improve in ways that we haven't seen a Maryland quarterback improve as a passer in a really long time. Yeah, I agree completely with that. I mean, you know, he, yeah, you saw stuff from him that you hadn't seen from any Maryland quarterback in a while, and this was a guy who couldn't really hit anything last year. Um, you know, the the beat ball to Tavon Jacobs, and I think he had some other ones to DJ Moore you know, all of that. And it was just, and, and, and that was even, you know, with the pass as kind of just, uh, an option. Like he threw 12 times and two touchdowns. He went nine of 12, but he ran um, it so well too. I mean, he used yeah, his he athleticism ran. and that's a really good deep. Well, not, it's not a great defense, but it's got a lot of athletes on it and they look shell shocked. Yeah, a lot of athletes, a lot of returning players. Uh, it's also worth mentioning at this point that Maryland protected him very, very well. This is the Better only other they... thing that I had that I hadn't seen mentioned in recaps, and I'm glad you brought that up, Thomas. The offensive line, we talked about it being a strength of the team in our preview episode, and we certainly expected it to be better, but that was another remarkable area of improvement. There was one sack the entire game, and that was Hill late in the fourth quarter. Other than that, for the times that Maryland needed to protect their quarterback, they protected their quarterback, and there were maybe one or two penalties. They played flawlessly. And that was the offensive line that after you recruit that position so well for so long, that's the kind of performance you want to see, and that's the kind of performance that doesn't make me fear as much about having a true freshman back there in the future. Yeah, uh, agreed. I mean, you know, we knew they could block for the run, and they still did that well. Maryland rushed for some 260-some yards. Um and being able to, you know, and Texas is a very good pass rushing team. I mean, they had, I think, 41 sacks last year, which was 12th in the country. You know, teams like that last year would have just been in the Terps' backfield every play. So to see that improvement uh, really across the line, uh, there are three returning starters, and then two guys who didn't start last year uh, came in and really, you know, have made like two steps forward. They, it's been really impressive to see, and I hope, you know, I hope that continues, of course. And again, 
I say that we say this about the offensive line because that is every bit as much of a part as why Maryland was so dominant on offense all day, as much as it was the play of the quarterbacks and the play of the skill position players. And we'll get to them in a second. But Lamar, we need to talk about Kasim Hill. We know he's talented. He's one of the best recruits that Maryland has ever gotten at the quarterback position in recent years. And when he came in, I thought, this is it. Maryland lost one of its leaders on defense. They saw one of its defensive backs being taken off the field on a stretcher. And then you lose your starting quarterback. And I thought, there's no way Maryland holds on. They did really well to get to this point. It's not going to take away anything if they lose, but they're in deep trouble now. And then Hill, with that throw on third and a million to G.J. Moore, was like, wow. I... After Pigram gets hurt, you don't think a Maryland quarterback, a Maryland backup, no matter how highly touted he is, can make a throw like that, and you're just sitting there like, do Maryland actually have two good quarterbacks now? Which is weird, because for years they had zero. We, if you, watching Kasim in practice, in the open practices before the season, it was it was always really a question of when he would be the star, and not really, like, is he good enough to start? Um and to watch him come in and prove like he did in the fourth quarter, nonetheless, with a top 25 team surging, albeit Texas probably shouldn't have been ranked that first week. Um, it just shows the material level he was at. And Durkin said today he went out, uh, it just showed his preparation. He's, uh, Durkin said in his press conference he prepared all for last week as if he would be a starter and paid off uh, when. <clears throat> Piggy went down, the offense didn't miss a beat, and a large part of that is like Cassine's preparation as well as the preparation of the staff. I think the offensive game plan, they had some moments where I was like, where's Ty Johnson? You should probably be using him more, Walt. I said that last year at points too, but Thomas, I think the other thing that kind of helps Maryland in this transition from Pigram to Hill is that they weren't already, A, throwing the ball all that often, and B, the offense isn't really going to change all that much, if at all, from those two quarterbacks. And that's, I guess, a benefit to having two quarterbacks with very different skill sets. I don't think Hill is quite a great an athlete outside the pocket as Pigram is, but they're relatively similar quarterbacks, and that makes the transition, I guess, a little bit easier to swallow, so to speak, as now it is Hill's team for the rest of the year. Yeah, I think, um, and especially because you know Hill's ceiling as a passer is still higher, and the fact that he'll get those reps is... Um, encouraging, and you don't lose a ton uh, outside of the pocket with him, um, which, you know, definitely, you know, every, everyone's confident in Kasim, and you saw against Texas why they should be. So, you know, it, it's it's easier to swallow because you know, you have an idea, at least, of what you're getting with Kasim. But, you know, even so, it's, I think it's more an issue of depth, because after Kasim, um, it's it's Max Portenschlager, it's maybe possibly if he's healthy Caleb Henderson, and then the walk-ons, and then Shane Cockrell, um, and so then maybe some other freshman linebacker. Well, Antoine again, Brooks, I think. That's what it, anyway, oh, more um, linebackers to quarterback. Okay, angry Maryland so, quarterback hating God. You got your pound of flesh. Please leave us be. Yeah. Um. But but ultimately, it's. You know, you, you're more confident in it because you have at least somewhat of an idea of what you're getting. Where in the past, I think if you did have an idea, it wasn't wasn't a good one. And, and I was going to say, if Hill and Pigram were going to end up having a competition later in the year, if Pigram came back healthy, it's like 
you're not really losing anything, and this is for the first time ever in my time watching Maryland, that there's a quarterback controversy between two good quarterbacks instead of two bad ones. No offense to the many that have come before these two. And now, what I fear for Pigram's sake, and this is more of a topic now for next year, is if Hill is as good as we all think he's going to be, and he improves, he might get Wally Piff, despite the fact that he started a game in which Maryland won at Texas. Like, and that's kind of sad for Pigram, but it at least means that Maryland's quarterback depth, and then you've got another pretty highly rated recruit coming in next year at uh, DeSue, I think is his name. Thomas, you can correct me on that if I'm wrong. But, you know, the, suddenly the quarterback position is not a scary place anymore for Maryland. It's not a black hole. And that maybe is the most positive thing you could take away from this game, despite all of the things that did go wrong. Yeah, uh, for, for sure. I mean, that's what that's what you have to do with, you know, a, a team like this is you have to build depth. Um, you have to build, you know, one through 85, one through 105. Um, and, you know, last year, this year, that I think that's clear, you know, that Maryland is much further along in that. Um, you know, it's, it's great to have, you know, superstars from time to time, but it's, you know, probably the most important thing to just have depth because injuries happen and, uh, you know, players get into slumps and you just need guys that are there to pick up the slack and that's what Maryland's got now and with Maryland it's the norm that there are debilitating and horrible injuries but speaking of superstars the reason why we might also not be fearing the injuries to uh, some of the key players for Maryland especially Pigram as much is because they do have superstars in the form of Ty Johnson and DJ Moore and Thomas when we were previewing the team it wasn't like we didn't want to talk about them but we knew what we were going to get from them. And then somehow they exceeded those expectations. And they both played some of their best games at Maryland. Johnson was incredible against Texas, not just in returning kicks and that huge one after that touchdown by Texas, but then running the ball. The guy just has breakaway speed, like no running back that I've seen at Maryland in a, ever, at least in my time. One of the fastest, one of the most shiftiest players ever. And then DJ Moore also became a monster again. It's insane how they have these two just absolutely wonderful players at these positions who are absolutely superstars in the Big Ten now. You cannot deny that. And it makes life with a true freshman quarterback, no matter how good he is, a lot easier. For sure. I think it's funny. Uh, Lorenzo Harrison had kind of like a nondescript, kind of boring game, and he had like 53 yards on 11 carries, which I didn't think good. he did very much, but that was because Ty Johnson was so crazy good that you barely noticed that Lorenzo Harrison had a pedestrian game where he averaged about five yards a carry. Yeah, I mean, if, and if that's pedestrian, then, yeah, I mean, you're really, really in a good spot. I mean, Ty Johnson, he had 102 all-purpose yards on one drive. And then immediately, like two plays later, runs for a touchdown. You're just like, has Maryland had an offensive weapon this good since like Darius Hayward Bay or Torrey Smith? And I'm thinking in my brain and it's like Stefan Diggs was up there. But because of Maryland's quarterback play, you never got to see Stefan Diggs at his best. Ty Johnson's a running back and therefore we do get to see him at his best. I can only imagine what Maryland's offense would be like with these quarterbacks and then Stephon Diggs playing, but that's neither here nor there. Johnson, he's just so good. It's how far is DJ Moore is. from getting on Diggs' level? I mean, it, it's almost like with Moore, I mean, they do somewhat different things. They're not the same receivers. Diggs was a guy who once you got him the ball, you just waited for him to make something crazy happen. 
Moore is, I think, more of a physical specimen and makes crazy catches like that one he made against Indiana last year and that one where he went up on third and a million in the fourth quarter. But he had an insane game, too. And it was just like, you know what? When you have a wide receiver that good and you have a running back that good and a quarterback that can run the football and is is three-dimensional in many ways, makes it so much harder to game plan against. And Maryland now has two legitimate superstars on offense and potentially a third if Kasim Hill develops the way we think he can. Yep. It's exciting. It is the idea that Maryland's actually going to have stars at the positions where you, I mean, you, you know, you want stars. You can kind of go by committee at running back like Michigan does or wide receiver like kind of Texas does. Like they had nobody with more than 420-something receiving yards last year. But but if you have stars at those positions, it can make watching you know, football once once a week for a fall. Really, really fun. Yes, it can. And Lamar, let's talk about the depth at the wide receiver position. There was really only one receiver that stood out, but he stood out in a big way, and that was Tavon Jacobs. And we've been waiting to see him play for a couple of years. And not only the deep touchdown catch, but he was a great player all around. And good teams are going to game plan against DJ Moore. And they're going to try to take him out of the game. And if Tavon Jacobs could play like that, then Maryland's offense is going to be a lot more effective. And that, I think, was another one of the litany of encouraging signs we saw from the Terps on Saturday. Uh, yeah, Tavon Jacobs was definitely a bright spot uh, coming off the injury against the top team. Like, it's it's a nice – it was nice to get him involved early on. Don't, also, don't forget about the six freshman wide receivers that didn't even see the field against uh, Texas that will probably start working their way in this week against Towson. Um, at the wide receiver spot, there is – the Terps are starting to build depth. Uh, there's not not exactly sure what we're going to get out of all those freshman receivers, but there's that crop of receivers. Don't forget DJ Turner as well and Jaquil Bay, who's uh, available now off transfer. Um, it's not just DJ Moore, but it is going to be the question is, are the Terps going to get from the receiving core outside of DJ Moore showing up every week and Tavon Jacobs getting a couple nice passes, a couple nice catches every Saturday? You certainly can say that, and that's what this Towson game is essentially for, is to see which of the freshmen at the skill positions are going to get a chunk of playing time going forward, and that's basically the most important thing at a Towson game, and there's obviously no way Maryland loses this. They're going to win by a ton, and we will see a lot of Max Bortenschlager victory cigar tweets from me on Saturday, at least going forward. But, Thomas, I think there's the other half of this game, which is the defense. And we talked about Jesse Annie Bonham's injury already, but one of the things that we definitely talked about on the last podcast in depth was, is Maryland's defense going to be athletic enough to go against the really good teams that they're going to be playing, like a Texas, and then down the line the best four teams in the Big Ten, and Maryland plays them all? Uh, they answered those questions pretty emphatically. Somehow a defense with much the same players looked infinitely more athletic than it did at any point last year. And Chain Bouchelle threw for a lot of yards because they had to throw the ball a ton. And Texas had a couple of good drives. But they ran for 92 yards. Maryland got in their face with the pass rush a lot and made Shane Bouchelle skittish. And if it wasn't for Maryland's special teams gaps, you could argue, they win that game by 20-plus. The defense was outstanding all levels, in spite of the debilitating injuries they took. Yeah, uh, Jermaine Carter, for one. Oh, he is... was a beast. That was Jermaine Carter that we thought we were going to see last year and didn't see, and now he's returned. Yeah, a couple sacks. 
uh, seven total tackles tied to the team lead, and one incredibly horrible subtweet. Um, I don't know if you saw. He at the end of the game, he posted the like thinking emoji with the prediction section of my Maryland versus Texas preview, oh. where I predicted where S and P plus, you know, which is like a, a computer basically picked Texas to win, and I picked Texas to win by less than that. And he just put that screenshot up, and and I was like, oh my god. Can you forgive Jermaine. him for that though? They just I just Texas hope he can forgive him. me. I just hope he can forgive me. Uh, that's all. Well, he's, that's well, he, you won't be saying that when uh, you predict Maryland to beat Towson by fifty. So it's not that big of a story. But he was amazing, and I think in terms of other defensive players that stood out. I mean, Shane Cockerell. He did play really well, I have to say. He was a, a tough spot last year in the defense, but played very well yesterday. Uh, yesterday, Saturday, we must say that. So credit to him. He looked like he had a step or two more speed than he did at any point last season, which is really positive. And then the secondary, which had some issues of its own because of that horrible injury to Antoine Richardson, and thankfully he's doing okay. And they didn't have Denzel Conyers, and yet next guy up, they still played about as well as I could have possibly expected them to play. And that's another encouraging sign. There were just so many encouraging signs, Thomas, in this game that it's hard to keep track of all of them. And that's what a win like this does for you. It shows you, you know what, this, team, this team's this team got a lot more to it than we thought. Yeah, I mean, Richardson and Tino Ellis were listed as co-starters. And both of them played really, really well. And remember, Tino uh, Ellis was a receiver and is now a cornerback. And now he's, you know, one of their two or three best cornerbacks. And it doesn't feel like you're saying that about a bad team. I think, you know, he, he's become a pretty good quarterback. And, he you know, he's winning position. You know, he, he beat – he actually – he got his first start last year because he basically beat J.C. Jackson in practice for a week. And now, you know, he's he's got a starting spot. Um, I, I expect he'll start this weekend. Richardson is still listed as a co-starter with him. Uh, he's day-to-day going through concussion protocol, whatnot. I would be surprised if we saw him this weekend just There's because, no need. They, yeah, they can, they can win easily without him. But, and, and this is all before next real game. So you don't need to really risk it at this point. And this is all before, uh, Marquise Bell and Alex Woods show up. Yep. So I, I, that's, that's just extra depth. And we didn't, and we still haven't seen Denzel Conyers. So, I mean, there's, the more good players you can have, the better. And it, it seems like there haven't, there aren't a lot of weak links right now. The well, the special teams were. had its bad moments. Well, I'm, I'm just talking about the that defense and that secondary, which were, which were even though they, you know, they did struggle in some areas. It didn't look look pretty good. I'd say. I mean. But again, this is by Maryland standards, and if the last year's Maryland team goes into Texas, they probably lose by thirty or forty. And to see this one go in there and win by 10, which was, you know, a smaller margin of victory than the play on the field indicated, you know, that's a huge leap forward for a team that we didn't think was, we said we we're going to see a leap forward, but we didn't necessarily think we were going to see it in the record. Uh, we've seen it in the record already, and that's, I mean, already has changed our outlook for the season. Lamar, I want to get to the piece that you wrote uh, briefly after the game and the things that Maryland needs to improve on going forward talk a little bit about that again and what were the areas that you thought that they needed to improve on specifically if they want to really not just beat teams like texas who may not be as good as we think they are 
but to really give other good teams on their schedule, and there are a lot of them, a similar kind of run for their money. Um, so something I really saw was uh, again the secondary. Um, Shane Bouch- uh, Bouchard threw for a lot of yards. A lot of that is because they uh, Texas in the hole, but um, the question then becomes whether um, the the terps really the secondary really took a bend don't break approach to it and it held for most of it. But near the end, you saw the you saw Texas was able to start playing together drives. Um, so the defense is really going to have to play for a full 60 minutes, especially in the secondary, um, matching up on the outside. Um, up front, you saw some strengths. Um, the, they, they came out really strong in the beginning, three sacks in the first half, um, no offensive touchdowns. But then you also see uh, the Longhorns still are able to put up 14 points um, without getting a score on offense. So... You gotta just make sure the Turks gotta make sure they complete uh, complete plays on all three phases, especially special teams where they both gained and lost a lot of momentum on Saturday. Mm-hmm. I should say that there were a couple of things in the first half that no one is going to talk about too much because Maryland won. But when Antoine Brooks returned the touchdown, and then they went for two and missed it, and then they have a couple of drives in the red zone right afterwards, and then they don't get anything going on those two red zone possessions. That was a little concerning, Thomas. Not hugely concerning, but a tiny bit concerning, especially you're up 27-7, they muff a kickoff, and then you have your field goal attempt blocked after a bad offensive drive, and you can't convert third and one. Little concerning, and it shows you it's a young team that's still growing in many ways, but they have to clean up areas like that going forward, and no doubt they will. This is a coaching staff that is going to find the things that they need to improve, and they'll find ways to improve upon them, no doubt. Yeah, um, kicking and punting weren't really looking too good. Wade Lee's, you know, it was funny. We only had, he only had to punt a couple times. One of them was 26 uh, yards, if that. Yeah, one of them was short. Um, well, it bounced backward 26 yards, but yeah, he kind of it kind of went a little sideways off his foot. Uh, and then another one was pretty good, but you know. Guy broke a couple tackles right away and then returned at 91 yards. Uh, and then I think there was another one that wasn't yeah. you know, really perfect. And, and so so that's, you know, not what you want to see, of course. But um, And also the kicking, Adam Green went one for three, uh, had one blocked, had one that wasn't close. and one. Yeah, but they shouldn't have even been kicking from that distance. They shouldn't have kicked the field. Yeah, I don't, think, I don't really think that's even an indictment on him, you know, if that's not his range. No, it, this is a Brad Craddock who made those all the time. Green is not able to kick from 50. They shouldn't have been kicking from 50. That was another coaching no, thing it's funny. that was weird. Uh, if if we're just going to talk about this real quick, uh, Maryland's kicker commit for 2018, Joseph Petrino, uh, he just uploaded a video that, that showed him making a 60-yard field goal with his right foot, and then he made a 50-yarder with his left foot. So, oh, wow. So anyway, that's what... Two-footed kickers? So anyway, that's what's coming. But uh, yeah, it's not. It's not now, here now. How it, I think as long as you can get Green to be, you know, really reliable inside of forty. Yeah, forty, forty-three, forty-four. You know, any and I think you have to just be fine with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, you know, because he was good inside forty last year, um, and you want that to continue, and you just hope that he shows a little bit more of the range throughout the year. 
Yes. So special teams is an area that Maryland can improve on, but will improve on. So now we have to talk about this in a more of a global sense. What does this mean for Maryland going forward? Does it change our expectations? How do they now fare in the meat grinder of the Big Ten East? And Thomas, I remember Ryan saying last week he could easily see Maryland beating Texas and losing to UCF. Now, while that's still a possibility, still I think that would be highly unlikely, but does this change your expectations for the season now? Because this was a game we all chalked up as a loss, even if we thought optimistically they could play pretty well and give Texas a game and then fade away. Does this change how you think this team's going to perform this year? Do you think this suddenly means this team is a little bit better than we might have expected otherwise? You know, I... If I were in the in the hot takes business, I would stick to my guns and be like, they're still losing to UCF, which would be a very Maryland thing to do, is to come out of a bye week and lose at home to UCF. But, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I would. Um, but, but even so, I still think it, it, you know, we're looking at a team that with like an average schedule would probably go seven and five, eight and four even at this point. Oh, eight and four, I would say. And, and so I think with this one, they'll probably win six or seven. Um, they've gotten one of the wins that we didn't think they were going to get, um, you know, because sports are just weird. They'll probably lose one that we think they'll win, um, you know, maybe Northwestern. Well, maybe not even, but like Northwestern or Indiana or Michigan State or, you know, yeah. even Minnesota is a winnable game, a losable game. I mean, so the, but, they, I mean think about all of the performances that Michigan State double. put in, that Indiana had until the fourth quarter against Ohio State that Minnesota had, especially, and Northwestern, and they all were like, I'm not, I'm not so sure yeah, about a lot of these performances. And then Maryland goes and beats Texas, and you're like, wait a minute. Maryland's better than these teams, but they're still not going to beat all of them. They might not even beat yeah, two of them. So, and so as a result, I think, you know, I did kind of shift from, like, five and seven, but still making the bowl to, I think they, if I had to change my prediction now, probably seven and five, but I, I haven't gone down the schedule and go win. I I haven't either, but it's also one game you can't really know how they're going to go from one name to the next. Uh, Lamar, we never got your record prediction last week because you weren't on the show, but has your initial prediction about this season changed now that Maryland has done what it has done? Uh, yeah, I was also around the... Uh... Five to six win range, uh, maybe make make it back to a bowl. Uh, <clears throat> I would have been happy with like a five and seven and make the bowl because the APR scores. Um, now I think you got to go for really, uh, got to believe that this is at least a team that's worth six wins as uh, like they were able to do last year. Um, so yeah, I'm thinking I'm around six or seven wins still. I my. Uh, because of the schedule, I don't think I can change my expectations too much. Mm-hmm. I can imagine that. But where I think we can change our expectations, Thomas, and I'll get uh, Lamar's thoughts on this in a second. When we looked at the season and we said, oh, they're going to Ohio State, they're going to Wisconsin, they're hosting Michigan, and they're hosting Penn State, they're going to get embarrassed in each and every one of those games. They still might get embarrassed in those games. But don't you now have a little bit more confidence that when they go into the horseshoe, Ohio State is going to be favored by a bajillion when they go into Camp Randall and Wisconsin's favored by Bajillion, and then when Michigan comes to Maryland and it's basically all their fans and Michigan's favored by Bajillion, and then it's Penn State on Thanksgiving weekend, don't you now think, all right, Maryland's going to give a really good account of itself and are going to give these teams a run for their money that they don't want to get? 
I mean, I, I I don't expect those to be just you know rollover games anymore. I mean, and I really didn't think all of them would be before. You know, I think still, I mean, teams will plan harder for Maryland. And they'll realize, you know, we really have to try and win this game, and a lot of the good teams will be able to still just have their way. Um, you know, Ohio State and Horseshoe. Like Ohio like, State they, had one good they, quarter and they won by four touchdowns. It's insane. Yeah. And that's against an Indiana team who is, you know, still kind of, to, to our knowledge, on par with Maryland. Beat Maryland last year. Um, and that was in Indiana. So it's... it's with the Ohio ideal State. circumstances for an upset, too. Yeah, Thursday night game. College game at home. is there. Yeah, it's season opener in conference play. It, it's... Yeah, it had all the makings, and it looked like it for once, and then they, they won by four touchdowns. But I, I, I didn't even think it was necessarily Ohio State or even Wisconsin who didn't really show up until the second half and then won by 49. But, you know, the, all those four teams are demonstrably better than Maryland in every way. But now, and last year's Maryland team got housed by all the good teams that they played. It's, it's not the case this year, and because of Ty Johnson and DJ Moore – and some playmakers that they have on both sides of the ball, you could easily now see a universe in which Maryland somehow wins one of them. I could. Are we going to talk about that now? Because I'm like kind of afraid to just talk about... Like I, I don't want to just raise that bar too much. Well, but... no, I'm not expecting them to. I'm just saying that they can now. It's in, a, it's in a realm of possibility that I didn't think existed until after they won against Texas. That That's is all fair. I'm saying. I don't. I do not disagree. I, I I will not predict them to beat Ohio State like a friend of mine did on a certain WMUC sports radio show many years ago when Maryland looked a lot better than Ohio State at points during the season, and then Maryland had a fifty spot hung on them at home. That will not happen. Lamar, do you now think that Maryland is going to be able to put in a much better account of itself against the really good teams that they are going to play? Now that we've seen them go on the road and beat a supposedly pretty good team, uh, yeah. So, and right before the season, uh, Brendan Moore talked about it, like we've been in these situations before. We just have to go out and execute. And when you hear that, it just sounds like football talk. It's like, all right, everyone says this, but to actually have seen them go out and do it gives you the confidence that they, do, all right, maybe they do have another uh, another one of these in the tank. Uh, but really, it just shows you that like when they put themselves up against these tougher teams, they'll they're definitely going to get like a stock of where they rank um among these top uh top programs. Absolutely. And the fact is they get to play three of them every year, potentially four or five, depending on how the Big Ten schedule works out. And that's helpful for a program right now that's whose ultimate goal is to still be the best of the rest of the Big Ten East, because it's the Big Ten East. Thomas, I think a couple of questions on this before we start to wrap it up. Uh, Maryland is not ranked in the top 25. I think that's a blessing for them so they could still kind of lie low under the radar even though they pulled this upset. I don't think they're a ranked team yet, mainly because um, Texas is probably not that good or maybe isn't nearly as good as some people thought. Tom Herman didn't save Austin, Texas in a night. What a surprise. Uh, So I guess we have to bring this up now. Is this win tainted, in air quotes, somewhat by the idea that who knows how good Texas is, and Maryland basically just beat a brand. I think beating a brand is fine. They haven't done that either. In this, years, is, this, years. Is, this is true, and this is why I was 
somewhat resenting all of the the sky is falling for Texas, or as some people were saying, oh, what happened if Charlie Strong did this? You know, it's one of those like, wow. Guys. I mean, here's the thing: it's like Texas is gonna be fine. It, they might not be that good this year, but that's not the Texas team that's coming fine. in the FedEx Field next year. No, and yeah, that's that's gonna be odd and strange. Um, yeah, Topic for another uh, day. Uh, yeah, um, but but yeah, I mean, it's it's not tainted, I don't think, um, because I think Texas is still a very talented team that'll win uh, a lot of games and give some good teams some runs this year. But you know, it's uh, Maryland shouldn't be ranked after after one win, especially you know after not getting any votes at all at the start. Um, but but it'll be interesting to see what they can do if they you know to what extent they can even move up the next couple weeks because uh, they they've got Towson and then a bye and then UCF. I think if if they're three and zero going to Minnesota, which they should be, uh, you know you might see a number next to their name, which I don't know if that's that's a great thing, but but we'll I don't know. But it's it's going to be an interesting thing to keep an eye on. Certainly, I I would not have even thought that was a possibility coming into this season that they could ever have a chance of getting a tiny number next to their name, and it would be truly amazing. But then again, in 2013, I didn't think there was a chance of them getting a tiny number next to their name either. And then when they did, they lost 63 to nothing. So, you know, what can you do? So, uh, Lamar, let's quickly get into Towson. Maryland's going to beat them by a bajillion, so it's not really breaking down all of the things that are going to go on in this game, but it's about the freshmen. It's about the players that need to see playing time and are going to, particularly at the skill positions. So who do you think we're going to see a lot of, and who are you most excited to see on Saturday? Um, We're definitely going to see a lot. Of, if I had a guess, I think we're going to see a lot of uh, the freshman running backs. Um, Walt Bell loves saying you need at least five. Um, he used we three saw on three of them. Yeah, he used three on Saturday, but he's definitely at, they're definitely all going to get worked in on um, against Towson. And then also, I'm just excited to see Kasim Hill come out and take control of the team for the rest of the year. Um, this is it's not like going in last week where like uh uh. Like, the only way we were going to see Piggy is if something, I mean, if we were going to see Kasim was if something unfortunate happened. This is now his, his, uh, this is now his team completely, and it will be for the next 11 games. Yep. Thomas, are there any players that you are most interested in seeing on Saturday? I'm very interested in seeing Anthony McFarlane, if we see him after all of the recruiting hype. Yeah, for me, it's, um, you know, a lot of the guys that we have mentioned already, McFarland for sure. Um, one guy, I think it'll be interesting to see how much we see of Bryce Brand, uh, who is at this point looking like one of the likely replacements for Justin Anabonim. Um, and if it, it'll be tough to gauge where he's at, you know, in his development, you know, on a game against Towson, but it'll be interesting to see how much how much run he gets in that game and. Uh, if he if he seems like he is ready to to you know have a, kind of a full time role even um, it, after that you know the other quarterbacks it'll be nice to get at least an idea um, you know get more than a quarter of Kasim Hill get 
some Max Bortenschlager, maybe, possibly, perhaps, some Caleb Henderson. Um, and then after that, you know, maybe some freshman receivers. But I think it's still mostly about just, just you know, what what things can they get a little better at going into the bye week. Absolutely. But I have my number one thing I'm most interested in seeing. What's the crowd going to be like? Because this is still Towson, and it's still very early in the season where most people expected Maryland to do not very much. But now that they've beaten Texas, what kind of hype do you get for a game like this? How many people want to go to Maryland games now that they have beaten Texas and they have that cachet on their resume? Does that change the atmosphere at Maryland Stadium for not only games like this, but most importantly for Michigan and Penn State later in the year when you want a lot more Maryland fans than I think we would have expected that would be there come that point in the season, right? Like, is there a palpable buzz that is starting to be built up among Maryland fans saying, hey, we should go to these games now. There shouldn't be 15,000 empty seats, even against Towson. Yes, Thomas? You, you think that that could be something we see? Certainly at the start of the game, I would say. Um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what kind of, you know, atmosphere it is. I, I am intrigued. It, it, it's home opener. It's, you know, it is still an FCS team, um, you know, to the, to the students stay for, for more than like, you know, a half. No. And even if they don't, even if they don't, doesn't matter. I mean, they'll just get their shirts with memes on them and go home. But uh, yeah, it'll, it'll does, it, be, does it build up something for games in the future is, I guess, the biggest question I it, have. It should. It should, I think. Eventually, the hype surrounding a program would theoretically lead to just more people showing up to games and more people getting invested in games. And I think, you know, we, we see that all over the place with, you know, all the other teams. And, you know, I don't know if it'll be immediate, but it, it should be there. Mark. What do you think about the crowd at this game now that Maryland has a win under Texas under its belt? Um, so the environment is going to shift a little bit. There are on campus, like the expectations will probably will probably get a little raise. Also, it's the season, uh, the home opener, so it'll be a nice crowd um, at least for the first half. I'm going to be honest. Um, we, we don't know. I don't know how many people are going to end up staying, how many people are going to end up coming out, um, because, <clears throat> again, it is uh, a game against Towson, but at the same time, there is a new there is a new energy around the program, and that should help uh, attendance as well. It should be there, and that, I guess, to me, is one of the most interesting parts of the game against an FCS school, and there usually aren't many parts that are interesting about games against an FCS school. So enjoy that game. We will talk a little bit more about some of the other fall sports that have begun their seasons uh, next week on the show when Maryland is entering a bye week. So we'll have more time to go on it then, but with the Texas win and all the things that happened in the game, you can understand why we are kind of squashed for time. But thank you, Lamar. How was your first podcast? Did you think it went well? Yep, had a good time, guys. Uh, looking forward to being back. You will definitely be back. And Thomas, you've done this a lot of times, but is this one of the more interesting podcasts you've done considering, oh my God, Maryland football beat Texas, holy crap? Uh, yeah, I guess. I guess that's how we could say it. Um, 
it's not a podcast I really thought I would do. I thought we would be like, well, let's try and take some positives. And uh, and now it was, well, we, we got the positives and negatives just thrown at us. Yeah. It's not, you don't have to do a lot of digging. I guess my final question for you is because we are, because you're covering the team on a day-in, day-out basis, and I am by trade of journalists. How much of your, like, bias comes out when you're covering a team and you are a Maryland student and I'm a Maryland alum and it's still a huge deal when your school does this. And even Alex wrote at the end of that piece on SB Nation, it's like, this is the most proud I've ever felt of Maryland football since I enrolled, you know, and I was going crazy watching this game. Do you feel a little bit something different when you're watching a game like this, considering to this point you haven't seen one? Oh, for sure. I mean, so... So the three of us and a few of uh, Jared's roommates, I mean, we all watched together and it was basically a watch party. I mean, we didn't, we didn't pretend to be like objective journalists at all during you know, watching that game. Uh, we'll have to, to try our best uh, for, you know, when we actually get to show up to games. But Well, I think it's a lot we'll easier when you're going to games to be objective, as I found out doing something that I covered past Friday night. If you followed me on Twitter, you know exactly what that is. Uh, but when it, when you're sitting down at home and you're just watching with the screen and then a computer, you your biases come out, I think, a bit more. I think it's honestly a lot easier for no cheering in the press box when you're actually in the press box than when you're thinking about not cheering in the press box at home. That's at least been my experience, but I don't know. I don't know about you. So for everybody, it's a little bit different, I guess. Well, you'll be in the press box on Saturday, so we'll get to test out that theory. And next week we will have... Another good show. We'll talk about whatever interesting things there are to talk about about Towson. Hopefully, maybe a special guest or two, and maybe a little special show, and talking about the spring sports as well. Thank you for being here with us. Continue to bask in the glory of this victory. There is a lot to bask in. Don't let the shine wear off of it for a while, and you're completely allowed to do that. But until we speak again, no terms.